Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Into the Fogcast podcast. This week we have another guest, so please guest tell us who you are and who you main. Hey, so I'm a Ray Gamer, I main Blight, and I've got about 2,000 hours or so and I've been playing Dead by Daylight since about 2019. Recently, I've been playing Dead by Daylight a lot more since I've been getting really into Blight. So the Blight has always been someone I've kind of stayed away from because I found him quite hard. He's quite fast and he's very powerful, but ultimately hard to master. But what made you start playing this killer? Originally, I actually, the first thing I found out about Blight was the J flick back in the day. So a friend of mine and now my moderator, Raincoat Rascal, basically kept pestering me. Oh, you got to you got to check out this thing Blight can do. You got to check this out. So eventually I I checked out the J flick and then I think I didn't really follow Blight too closely for a couple months after that. Eventually I ended up switching to PC and around the time I did, I started playing a lot more DVD because my frame rate on console, I was on Xbox One, so it was really bad. It was dropping into like 30, below 30 sometimes. DVD has had console optimization issues for a long time, but eventually I switched to PC, started getting more into Blight and started actually playing Blight. And from there, just got more and more focused on Blight and just having a great time with them. So thanks for agreeing to do this interview with us, Array Gamer. It's great to have you here. Um, so let's start with your build. There's many kinds of builds out there from the most efficient builds, your fun builds, and the builds that people like to run on a regular basis. So let's talk about your build. What works for you and why do you run it? Okay, so I definitely have a main build that I would run. My The main build I run by far the most is, as of late, it's been Barbecue and Chili, Lethal Pursuer, Enduring, and Shadowborn. So basically what's going on there is barbecue and chili is really nice for just the info in general. And Blight is a really is a killer with a ton of map presence and a lot of mobility and stuff like that. So information is really, really key playing Blight. Also, it has the side effect of since I mostly play Blight on stream, I tend to interact with chat a lot. And so barbecue is really nice for not getting lost as easily. Like I can be focused on chat and playing, like splitting my attention and the constant drip of information is extremely helpful to still have good results. As far as Lethal Pursuer goes, it's kind of a similar vibe, but just getting info right off the rip from the beginning. It's also really nice to help learn spawns in general, although I have a somewhat better idea of spawn since I've been running it for a long time. Enduring I throw in there as a nice chase perk. It's it's just, it's a fun chase perk and I like to play in a stupidly aggressive play style with a blight where I just basically ignore everything like that could, I just absolutely send it during chases and if I get stunned, I get stunned. If I get whatever happens, happens, but I am going for you and I'm attempting to down you as soon as humanly possible, basically. And Shadowborn kind of, Shadowborn is not what I would necessarily call an objectively good perk, but it's a nice quality of life perk and a, a nice feels good perk, if that makes sense as well. So it gives an extra 15 degrees of field of view, just makes it things look nicer. It makes you feel less like you're in a tunnel, like default FOV kind of makes you feel at times. And yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for newer players, but I love it. Yeah, so a lot of people that I see 
playing Blight, they always run Shadowborn anyway because it's kind of like a must, really. Yeah. Going on to Lethal Pursuer as well, the, the good thing about that is that it allows you to use it in conjunction with Barbecue to give it that extra two seconds. Very true. It also... There's also... Blight has a an add-on called Compound 21, which also works and synergizes really well with Lethal Pursuer. So a lot of people ended up dropping Barbecue as well from from their usual builds um, and the blood points... Um, got taken away from it. That was the only reason a lot of people ran it, but it still has a really good place on on Blight because of his just his sheer mobility too. Very true. I actually expected myself to start running barbecue and chili a lot less, but it kind of never really happened. It made me appreciate its utility a lot more when it didn't have any blood point aspect to it anymore. Okay, so there are 103 killer perks in the game in which 30 come from licensed killers which people have to pay money for. There are a lot of new and old players out there that still don't have any of these yet. So let's focus on the 73 perks that are available to everybody. Do you have any builds that you can share that are worth running? Yeah, so I typically don't run any slowdown, but if you're looking for a strong build without any any licensed perks, so a really strong build you could run is Pain Resonance, which is a Skurchuk from the artist. Uh, Dead Man Switch it goes really well with Pain Res, typically. You could also put on other strong perks like No Way Out, you, which you get stacks of for hooking different people, and it could be a nice slowdown at the end of the game. If you're looking for something else to throw in there, I could go with... I think Overcharge is nice as well to get some... To get some active slowdown where you can actually choose when to use it, when to kick generators and whatnot, because pain res is really, really nice, but it only gets you so far because sometimes you'd get bad RNG and you don't get the scourge hook spawns that you want. So if you're only running a bunch of scourges, it's kind of putting all of all of your eggs in one basket, if that makes sense. If if you want more like fun or aura builds, like stuff like that. In addition to some of the stuff I mentioned before in my original build, and you can also mix and match this with slowdown or whatnot, depending on what you want to go for, you could also throw on things like discordance. That's a, a really nice perk. It does have some drawbacks in the sense of the strongest survivor playstyle for the most part is to split up on gens. So when survivors are doing the most efficient thing, it tends to not get as much value, which is definitely... A strong downside. Also, another fun chase perk that I really like is Blight's own Hex Blood Favor, which blocks pallets after you hit survivors near them. So it, I believe it's a 32, ma- uh, 32 meter radius around where you hit the survivor that gets blocked for a brief time. Also, in a similar vein, crowd control, I like to combine those sometimes. Enduring, which I mentioned in the build that I tend to run a lot. Bitter Murmur is a good information perk as well that's not licensed also if you wanted to instead switch out your slowdown perks if you're not super confident in getting a consistent fast first down corrupt intervention is always a really good option and it'll give you the safety in case you have a slow start so there's occasions where even those who have the most play to win kind of mentality the most competitive people out there they just want to have a game with like a less than optimal build whether it be to give themselves an intentional disadvantage they maybe have um i don't know maybe they're a, a small time streamer and they're doing a sort of challenge as well or they just want to have some fun with the survivors with a meme kind of gimmicky build 
Would you share with us any such memes or gimmicky builds that you would use for fun with the Blight? Yeah, so I think when, when it comes to Blight, a lot of the meme or gimmicky builds tend to focus a lot or at least involve different add-ons because Blight, I think, is really cool in the sense that Blight has a ton of different add-ons that actually are impactful. So a good meme add-on combination is Adrenaline Vial plus Shredded Notes. I say meme, but it's actually like a pretty strong combination. So Adrenaline Vial gives you seven rushes. It makes your rushes take one second to recharge per rush token instead of the normal two. It also lets you turn your camera angle more, so it's you can flick for larger angles, but it substantially reduces your ability to change your pathing while you're in a while you're in a rush. So it kind of turns Blight into even more of a pinball than he already is, because you kind of have to point to where you're actually going to go, and you don't have that much leeway in terms of being able to turn away. Shredded Notes goes together with it nicely because. It takes away one lethal rush hit, which normally I would say makes it, for the most part, not a good add-on, but it also makes it so your charges take one-third of a second less. And again, normally off of two, th- off of two seconds, one-third of a second is not going to be that impactful, but off of one second, when you have Adrenaline Vial, now all of a sudden you're getting a charge back every two-thirds of a second, so you can get your full six charges back, since Shredded Notes takes away one and... Adrenaline Vial adds two. You can get six charges back in four seconds, which is comical if nothing else. And you can break pallets and walls and just get your power back insanely quickly. You also have options like Bulldozer Blight, where you can pretty much ignore pallets. Usually for that, people combine Enduring and Spirit Fury. And usually they'll run Compound 33, which takes out pallets super fast with Blight's power. It just makes him even more efficient at obliterating pallets. Uh, that was my favorite thing to do. I called it Meth Head Blight. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. It, it definitely definitely comes across that way to the survivors. They're just like, what is going on with this man? Uh, yeah, you can combine it with Adrenaline Vial for getting your charges back really fast and just not caring about breakable walls or pallets. Sometimes people like to send themselves to Gideon Meat Plant. You could also put it with Eerie Tag so that it's kind of a thing where, well, if you drop a pallet, I'm going to destroy it nearly instantly. And if you don't drop a pallet, I'm going to bump four times and insta-down you on my last lethal rush. So yeah, Blay has Blay has a ton of different options with stuff like that. Also, Vigo's Journal is one that makes you undetectable while you're in a rush. So you're rushing around the map and you're undetectable, which is... High quality for some excellent, excellent jump scares. So when picking a build, one of the most important things to most people are the add-ons. It can change the game entirely, whether it's to get someone exposed quicker, makes you quicker, reduces cooldown on your power, or just to slow the game down. So of all the add-ons available to you, what would you run, what would you recommend, and what would you avoid? So Blight has a large amount of very, very good add-ons available at his disposal. So... I would say if you're if you're a newer blight, if you're just getting into blight, I would recommend you start out not using a ton of really strong add-ons. If you were to, if you if you're newer to blight and you want to use add-ons, I'd recommend Cankerthorn and Boxglove. They're pretty weak, but they just make it so that if you're using your power and you don't swing, so if you just go into fatigue, it just makes you recover out of that fatigue faster. 
So it's it's nice if you're newer to Blight without being really strong or changing the way Blight's power works if you're learning him. And I'd also recommend Alk Ring or Alchemist Ring, which gives you all of your charges back when you successfully hit a survivor because it encourages you to use your power more knowing that you'll get all of your charges back if you successfully hit them. Now, if you've got more experience on Blight, there's a whole host of really strong add-ons you can start getting into, like speed add-ons, which are super fun and very powerful. I think you very, very commonly see Blight's running speed add-ons. They're kind of up there with like Alchemist Ring that it gets run all the time. They basically the speed add-ons make you either four or six percent faster, or you can put them together and it makes him makes you ten percent faster each time you bump into something. So together you can end up going all across the map. You have huge mobility because you're faster and you still get to rush for the same amount of time, which is three seconds. Another good option, compound 33. As mentioned before, it just tears through pallets. It's extremely strong, and that one's it's a it's a bit easier to use, especially if you're newer. I wouldn't recommend getting too used to it because it kind of encourages you to use your power more for breaking pallets than actually trying to hit the survivors. I mean, you can totally do that too, for sure. But you might say, "Oh, well, I can just chase them down, make them drop the pallet, and then use my power to instantly destroy the pallet super fast." Blight also has some uh, other really good options. Compound 21, when you bump within eight meters of a survivor, it, it shows you their aura for three seconds, which I actually found very useful for learning how survivors react to my mind games. Because it's, I mean, there's nothing better than being able to bump and just see through a wall what a survivor is actually doing to react to you which is what it does. I would also recommend you don't get too used to that one as it'll be a little bit difficult when you take it off. Eerie Tag's another option if you have a lot of experience on Blight and you're confident in your ability to make your hits because it makes your last lethal rush hit an insta-down. So if you hit somebody with your last lethal rush hit, you insta-down them. But the downside, of course, is if you miss, then you haven't even injured them and you've just wasted all of your rushes and you have none left and you have to wait for them all to come back. So it's a very high-risk, high-reward add-on. I wouldn't recommend for newer Blights necessarily. So getting the right perks and add-ons are very important, but getting the strategy right is equally as important as it's how the game is played. So I want to talk more about your strategy. When loading into a trial, what are your preferred maps? What strategy do you adopt based on the perks and add-ons that you use on a regular basis? I'd say my top two realms are going to be the Macmillan, uh, Macmillan Estate and Autohaven. So th those are by far my two favorite. By Well, by a decent margin, those are my two favorite realms. Basically, what I get from that is they... I know the collision very, very well, and it's pretty consistent collision. Uh, collision actually varies by the realm that you're on. So in certain in certain realms, you're going to find that a lot of stuff is very slippery. In other realms, you're going to find a lot of random things have big collision. Other things slide. Eerie of Crows comes to, comes to mind for being bad in that sense. So yeah, generally strategy, I, I tend to play it nicely in my games. So I try and, I try and going off 
from the start of the game, I'll try and play it nicely. I'll try and avoid camping people. I'll try and avoid tunneling people. I'll try and end up doing one of those things where I end up getting six, seven, eight hooks before I sacrifice anyone. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody's throwing the game that I'm not going to death, that I won't sacrifice them on the fifth hook of the game or something. But overall, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it nice and fun for everyone. Now, that's objectively the a bad strategy to do and typically I'll adjust my strategy on the fly as I see what the survivors are doing how fast they're doing the gens all of that sort of stuff I'll adjust on the fly and as needed I will change my strategy okay so when you're going into a match you have to assess your strategy based on the perks you have the add-ons you have the map that you load into and the survivors that you're likely to face because let's face it no no bunch of survivors are likely to play the same. Uh, so let's talk about your playstyle. Do you opt to change your playstyle based on how the survivors play, or do you just have some kind of one-trick routine or strategy that you like to stick to because it just always seems to work? Yeah, so I I very regularly will change my strategy based off of what's happening in the game, sometimes before the game. Sometimes you can just tell. You load into a lobby, you've got different symbols or things like a heart in the name. Maybe maybe it's clear, or maybe you recognize the name. Maybe you know somebody is like a competitive player, for instance. And you can kind of you can kind of tell those teams apart on occasion. Not consistently, but there there are indicators. So depending on like the item survivors bring, say they bring a bunch of medkits, stuff like that, then you you can change your strategy. So the perfect example, medkits. If somebody has a medkit, if everyone has a medkit, then you don't want to do hit and run. It's or You're going to have to change the math or the calculus on a hit and run play style, for instance, because if I hit somebody and I know they have a medkit, they can just leave and go heal themselves up in 16 seconds and if I don't get another fast hit, then it's kind of a waste of time. So medkits definitely make me more likely to actually commit to chases and actually down somebody versus hitting them and leaving them to either have to find somebody to heal up, to boon up, something like that. It just change, changes the time efficiency. Also, when it comes to games, you can, you can kind of tell how fast the generators are going. So some teams, you'll have a bad first chase and maybe a gen will pop. A lot of, some other teams, you'll have a bad first chase and maybe as you're hooking somebody, three gens pop. And that tells you, wow, you know what? Okay, these people are actually really focused on slamming out gens wherever possible. And they're the type of survivors who are going to try and play efficiently. And so as that happens, I, you can make the decision to say, okay, well, you know, I normally play really nicely and I try and avoid like camping or tunneling, but maybe, maybe if these survivors give me a good opportunity, maybe I'll second hook somebody like maybe, maybe I'll hook someone shortly after they get off the hook again. Maybe, maybe I won't hard tunnel them out, but maybe I'll just take a, a free second hook state if they give it to me. Maybe I'll try to prevent the unhook. Say, Especially with barbecue and chili, that also goes to having a lot of information and knowing what everyone is doing around the map. So by its very nature, if you hook somebody, you know where that person is. There are only three other people on the map. And you can kind of put together context clues. So if I see there's someone entirely on a gen on the far side of the map, then they're 
probably not going for the save, or they probably shouldn't be going for the save. I can say, oh, I knew this gen had progress before when I chased this survivor off of it. They Good chance they went back to that generator. And you can put all of these things together to try and interrupt the unhook. Maybe I go, I hit a survivor I see on barbecue, I know the other survivors on the opposite side of the map, and I can put together from where the other survivor probably was working on a gen earlier that they're probably going to be going into uh, in to get the save because they see another survivor getting hit. They maybe are on comms, something like that. Maybe not, but they're probably going to be going in for it. So you can go try and interrupt them on the way over to the hook. And then if you hit them and they can't get the unhook safely because they're now injured, it begins a rapid snowball effect where it's a very dangerous position for the survivors to be in. And maybe they need to have this healthy person come from the other side of the map or they need to heal up, but it rapidly becomes a dangerous situation. And because Blight has such insane mobility and relatively quick re, uh, token recharge rate, you can kind of be everywhere, which is one of the things I really love about Blight is if I want to be on another side of the map or I just want to be generally somewhere else, I can be there pretty darn quickly, faster than most killers, nearly all killers in the game. Situationally, maybe if you have a portal as Demogorgon or something, and you can portal back and forth, maybe maybe that works better in certain scenarios, but then you're Demogorgon when you get there. You're not Blight going insanely fast. So yeah, you can also do things like camp a little bit, like proxy camp when somebody's near second stage and you know people have to go for the save and so that you get a trade out of it and then can go somewhere else and already have a hook again there's there are a lot of things you can a lot of levers you can pull to get some pressure when needed totems have always been a big part of how people play and it can change the game entirely by either hindering or helping both sides so last year they released boon totems and these alone became a powerful tool for survivors so as a killer, you were either forced to leave them alone and face the consequences or snuff them out only to find 20 seconds later that they're back up. So let's talk more about totems and more specifically totem spawns. Do you think they're in a good place or do you think more changes are needed? Um, I think there are definitely... There are definitely maps that have some totems that are either really hard to find or really out in the open. So I think it kind of goes both ways. I think there are still I think there's still progress to be made in terms of totem spawn locations and maybe having fewer that are extremely out in the open or in very predictable spots. Obviously, Grim Pantry is one example that comes to mind. If I hear a boon totem go up on Grim Pantry, there are about there are two spots that I feel like have about a 50% chance that it's going to be in one of those two spots because they seem to just spawn all the time. It's it's kind of crazy. Totems, there are also some insane totem spawns for boon totems. Things that come to mind are t the top floor of Ironworks of Misery has some totem spawns that you really have to go very far out of your way to, to go snuff if you're the killer. Same thing with Batam Preschool on the bottom floor of Main will often have a totem that spawns down there. And again, you just kind of have to leave it or go way out of your way. And like you mentioned, 20 seconds later, you're probably going to hear it boon up again. So I think more changes are probably needed. I almost, 
I almost feel like they should make some changes in the way that boon totems work. I kind of like the idea of that Noed has where it slowly exposes its location to a larger and larger area. That's one thing I like. Another thing would just be a worse version of Shattered, uh, Shattered Hope being base kit. I think that would be really nice. Like Even if you make it take a little bit longer, like... Say you're the killer and you have to go up to the top of Ironworks. Maybe you decide it's worth it, that you want to spend five seconds there to destroy the totem. And maybe that would be complete. I think that would be completely fine. Maybe tweak the timing or whatnot. But I really feel like there should be some version of Shattered Hope base kit for those crazier totem spawns. Like so just so just that there is a time investment that the killer has to make to say, I really don't like this totem spawn. And I think that would be I would be very happy with that if I have to spend an extra five seconds so I don't have to waste, like you said, a ton of time to go back up to the top of Eerie of Crows. I'm down with it. So having played the blight um a lot, you must have had some great matches, whether it's been against high profile players or competitive teams. Uh, maybe content creators or maybe just insane downs or extraordinary clutch moments that even you didn't think you'd be able to pull off. Do you think you could share any of these with us? Uh, yeah, lately I've I've participated in Otofu's scrims that he has hosted recently, and those have been a lot of fun. I think I, I've played in that three times so far. Well, on three different occasions, maybe seven games in total, I believe it was. And yeah, those have been a lot of fun. I think I've played against a, a couple different comp teams. Also some some people who were not a team, but have had competitive experience. And I, th- I think there are maybe some of the old people from the Insta Dodge team back in the day. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure of all the details of that. And yeah, it's a, that has been a huge amount of fun. I've gotten some some crazy hits there. Like there, there's one hit on... If you can imagine the hills, the hills that spawn, it was on suffocation pit. Uh, suffocation pit. I've gotten this hit a couple other times as well. But it was just, it was very clean. You can actually, if the survivors are hiding, you know how on both sides where you go up the hill, on both sides there are little like rock faces that extend off that you can kind of make the killer walk around a little bit to get to you. Well, those right there, you can actually, if the survivor mispositions a little bit, you can actually flick and down the survivor when they, it's, it really doesn't look like it should hit. And that's a, that's a very nice hit that I always love to get. With the amount of time that you've been playing Blight, you must have some great advice that you can share with us. So what advice would you give to new players or even your past self? I would say one of the biggest things is experience kind of, is the most important thing above a lot of stuff. You just want to have a lot of experience. So the biggest thing I would say is try to use your power a lot. Even if you think, oh, I'm new to Blight, I'm bad at Blight, I'm probably going to end up missing this if I go for this. And I could just follow them and in 10 seconds I'll probably get a get a hit. I would encourage you, if it's not like a throw of the game, to try and use your power a lot and err on the side of using it too much because the more you use it, and sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't work, you'll find out what things you can and cannot actually get. Related to that, I'd actually recommend if you're learning Blight to kind of change your expectations and change your goals. 
this this isn't a requirement, but this is just something I like to recommend is change your goals. Don't really focus on how many kills you're getting. Try and focus on learning Blight's power, learning the collision on different stuff around the maps and the realms, and just try and get some good hits and try and learn some more about Blight and improve your Blight with each time you play. Another tip I would give is a lot of people tend to swing pretty early with a Blight and like you try and lunge and hit somebody. You don't want to do that because Blight has... Blight has a very, very large short hitbox right when you start your swing. So what you want to do is wait until you're, I mean, not even, you, you just want to wait until you're in contact already with the survivor to click your attack button. So wait until you are already in contact, like physically pressing against the survivor, and you're much more likely to get the hit rather than if you swing early. Because that really short, wide hitbox, extremely quickly, like, Maybe in a single frame, maybe in a few frames. I'm not sure exactly, but it's very, very brief amount of time. It very quickly converts into a more normal, maybe even more narrow than usual hitbox. And it becomes a lot harder to hit the survivor and a lot easier to miss them a little bit off to the side or get spun. And that's what a lot of people have issues with when it comes to actually getting hits. So I want to talk a little bit about tiles and more specifically your favorite tile, whether it be the jungle gym, the LT wall, long wall, good old killer shack, or maybe even some map specific main buildings. Uh, we want to know what your favorite tile is and why. I would say my favorite tile to play is probably an LT wall, actually. It's it's interesting because it's it's one of those tiles that are pretty it's somewhat unsafe like there's there's already a lot of opportunity for there's already some opportunity for mind game whether you double back at certain walls whether you fake like you're doubling back stuff like that but it's it's really one of those tiles where the I almost want to say art of blight comes in. There are a ton of different things you can do. So all of the those different mind games that you can do kind of extend out to where you can hug tech different walls. Like say I'm coming around either of the walls. I can either, for one example, I can hug tech around after the survivor. I can hug tech back the other way that I just came from and try and slide into the middle of the tile where they have the locker and that little wall area to bump there and then rush again around the other side and you also can put together different objects around the loop so trees rocks different filler stuff that's usually in the area now it doesn't always spawn so you have to be careful and this is kind of where the fun comes in of figuring out well what spawned around it how do i play around it you can also bump on that wall to make survivors think you're going to do one thing and change it up. And they're, they're overall, they're just a ton of different mind games and different ways you can play it that just make it very new every, not every time, but yeah, kind of new every time. Generator speeds have always been an issue for killers. And in recent time, they've gotten a lot better with perks and changes it takes for the time to regenerate to complete. But with that being said, it's hard for the devs to balance out the game based on some killers being stronger than others. But what are your thoughts? This might be expanding it a little bit, but I kind of feel I feel like I have a package of changes in mind that I feel like the devs should ideally make. 
So kind of generators in my mind and gen speed goes hand in hand with quote unquote alternate objectives. Like people always talk about, oh, we need to add alter like alternative objectives to the game and like totem this and this other idea that. Boon totems this. One of the big things, I feel like gens are really connected with healing because if your team is getting injured and they don't go to the effort of healing themselves, especially against a strong and high mobility killer like a blight, it's a recipe for disaster and you can end up getting your entire team slugged if you're if you're not careful. So I feel like I think they should make medkits take a little bit longer to heal yourself. So right now, just a base medkit, a survivor can heal themselves in 16 seconds alone. So that's 16 survivor seconds. If you needed to, if you went and had to have another survivor heal you, then you would need two survivors for that 16 seconds, plus any time to actually find the other survivor and maybe reposition yourself. It's, it's just so convenient and so powerful of a tool medkits are. And they're very good at anti-momentum. And I just think they should maybe take a little bit longer to heal yourself to, to balance that out a little bit. Along with gen times, I think what I would really like to see right now, the meta is kind of gen slowdown slow and regression and stuff to just extend the game and protect generators. And at least for me, on both sides, that's not really the way that I have the most fun playing. I typically prefer my DVD games to go fairly fast in the range of, at the low end, maybe six minutes to, at the high end, maybe like 12 minutes. Getting into 15, 20 minute games of DVD, that's just that's just a bit much for me. So especially the, those perks like Eruption that extend the game massively, I, I think the devs should probably nerf them a bit. And by nerfing those perks, they would effectively buff the rest of the perks. Not They wouldn't actually buff them, but they would make it a closer gap. At the same time, this is where I was saying it's kind of a package of things that I would like to have changed. I also would like to see the low and mid-tier killers get buffs. I'm, I'm less sure about what I would do in order to buff those. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly what I would do to buff the low and mid-tier killers, but I'd really like to see low and mid-tier killers get a buff. And then also, the devs previously mentioned adding some opportunities for survivors to get information previously on what their teams are doing. So things like, I'm on a generator, I'm healing a survivor, I'm in chase, stuff like that, I think would be really helpful for the solo queue experience, which right now is kind of rough in my opinion. Like if I if I load up and play solo queue, it's so hit or miss and it's very often miss. So it would be really nice for solo queue to get information and then the low and mid-tier killers to get buffs as well. And you, you could give that information to all teams, even if they're survive with friends. Survive with friends wouldn't make as much use out of it because they're already on comms most likely. And so it would... Boost survive with friends a little bit, solo queue a decently, like a moderate amount, like a decent bit. And and then by buffing the low and mid-tier killers, ideally, it would bring everything up to a more inline level. So there'd be less of a difference between Blight, Nurse, and like Trapper at the top and bottom end of the killer if you buffed Trapper and similar strength killers. And it would also be very nice to 
as solo queue feel like you had more information and more of a chance to where you were more on the level of survive with friends. And I think that would balance things out a bit. Yeah. And they could maybe change gen times either way, depending on what they wanted to do to keep kill rates similar or about what their goal is. MMR is something that Behaviour have put in to help make matches more fair for everyone. And it, it just tries to make sure that each individual skill level tries to be as close to each other as possible. There's been loads of different opinions on this matter, ranging from it should never have been implemented in the first place, and then others on the other end of the spectrum saying that MMR has been a good change to my matches, I'm not getting as many crack survivors juicing me for five gens, I'm having a better time. And some in-between reactions thinking the intentions are good, it's just a rather odd and primitive way of measuring MMR with just kills versus escapes depending on what side you're on. So tell us from your own experience, your thoughts on MMR and how it has affected your games with the Blights. Yeah, so I actually, I have mixed feelings about this. Basically, before MMR, even when I was a lot less experienced with the Blight, I would win very consistently. So I kind of, I like the idea of MMR, but it it goes both ways because for one thing, I know a lot of people say they don't believe MMR exists. I do think MMR exists, but it's very variable. So at certain times, like a lot of the time, I'd say more than half of the time, I'll be getting not great matches in terms of close to my skill. Like I've got 2000 hours on the blight and I might be going against teams with 500 hours, like or players with 500 hours, 700 hours, 1100 hours and stuff like that. That's mostly what I go against. And then I don't know if this is queue time related where they have different prioritization where they want to get fast enough matches. So they drop the match quality a little bit. I think that makes sense based on, what the devs have said but typically at a certain time it'll turn on a dime and all of a sudden i'm getting fairly consistent teams which are much closer matches for me like teams with i'll get the same teams back to back of survive with friends with like maybe five thousand hours each and i'm not complaining about that i actually i really enjoy those games and i prefer those games overall but sometimes I want more chill games. Sometimes I want more sweaty games. And it's unfortunate that it's just a roll of the dice that I can't say, oh, I, I want to I wanna like really have a, a tough game right now. But the game just decides to continuously cue me with people with 700 hours in the game where it's not really going to be a close game. And I don't know. I, I don't find those games to be as fun where it's not really a close match. It's kind of almost predetermined. Like, unless something goes very wrong, even with no slowdown, a very experienced blight with, say, double speed or something with my normal build, it's not, they're not likely to get out. So I prefer the juicer teams overall, but I I, I wish there was a way you could select the games you wanted, but I don't know how that would effectively be implemented or if it could be, because I don't think people would really want to have tough games for the most part. So they'll probably just stick on, oh yeah, give me easy games. And then they'll beat up on baby killers or baby survivors on the other end. So, but it's just unfortunate. I wish there was a way to kind of select like, oh, give me a sweaty game right now, because that especially is what I would like to have more often because most of the time it's 
not super super close matches and close MMR. So it feels like sometimes it exists, sometimes it doesn't. And I like MMR existing to some extent. Like I prefer it in its current state than to if it was off. Because for instance, back when Behavior did the MMR tests, on I think one of the days, it was like nearly off. And man, that was the least fun it was some of the least fun that I had in DBD in a while because it was just game after game of 4K of 5 gen slaughters. Like, because it would give me players with like, oh, here's a, here's a player with 30 hours in the game. A player with 30 hours in the game should never be going against somebody with 2,000 hour, hours on Blight. That's just, it shouldn't be happening. And when they did the test, that would happen. At the same time, they did another test day where the MMR was a lot more accurate and I, I tracked some stats and found that Deadheart was used by about 80% of my survivors. So it was like over three Deadhards per game on average, like a bit over, like maybe 3.2 or something like that Deadhards per game. And the survivors were all super efficient, all running the most meta of stuff. And that was really unfun too. So I think it's good that they found some sort of middle ground. And overall... I'm somewhat happy with it. I think it could still definitely use some tweaks, though. So going against the killer that you main can be quite the experience. Being a main for that particular killer, you've got a better insight than most about what they can and can't do. You have a better chance at trying to determine the add-ons they might be using as well and knowing their own limits. So when you're playing Survivor, do you enjoy playing against the Blight? Yeah, I love playing against the Blight. Like, Blight is my favorite killer to go against. And to give some context... I'm what you'd, I'm a relatively baby survivor. Like my escapes are in the hundreds, not in the thousands. I'm very much a killer main and I mostly play killer. But I would say I perform better against Blight than any other killer because I'm just in the head of the person playing the Blight. And I find that to be a very, very fun experience. Knowing what exactly like you mentioned, knowing the limits of what the blight can and can't do. And a lot of times the blight will try and mind game me by acting like they're going to do something. And I can just stand there fearless knowing that, hey, if you try and do that, you're going to slide off and go into 20 meters away and I'll be completely fine. And it's one of the most fun things to really understand how a killer works and play against it. Now, at the same time, it, it can it can get unfun if your teammates don't know what they're doing. Like I mentioned solo queue before. Say the Blight is running some very strong build and you don't get teammates that can hang in there and you kind of don't get chased because the Blight realizes they shouldn't chase you. But that's, that's more of a commentary on DBD in general, I feel like, than specifically against Blight. But yeah, so I love going against Blight. Favorite killer to go against. DBD has gone through many changes from balancing to perk changes to complete readjustment of some killers. So this begs the question, what do you think to the current state of DBD? Are they heading in the right direction? And do you have any advice that might help them head in the right direction? It's tough to say. So at any given time, it's tough to say whether, like sometimes it feels like you're heading, DBD is heading in the right direction. Sometimes it feels like it's heading in the wrong direction. But I, I find hope in the sense of zooming out. If you look at a longer time scale, it's clear, it's fairly clear to me that I think DBD is improving and heading 
overall, not necessarily on the smaller timescales, but on the year, like on more than a year timescales, like multi-year, they tend to be on a steady-ish, okay, not steady, that's not the right word, because it goes back and forth, but slowly to be heading in the right direction and improving things that are really bad. Maybe it takes them a long time to do that. Maybe they add things that I don't agree with or don't love about the game in the meantime, but usually they will improve it with time. One of the things that's kind of concerning a bit about the current state of DBD is I feel like recent map designs have been kind of rough. Think RPD, the original RPD. Um, think Garden of Joy, Eerie of Crows, the RPD rework. Even even Haddonfield, I remember Haddonfield still has some buildings with insanely, insanely strong windows that if you're playing an M1 killer, like, good luck. It, it's it's tough. It's tough out there for some of the M1 killer mains. Luckily, luckily, I am a blight main, so I don't have many issues with windows on that map. You can still at times get run a bit, but far less than a lot of the killers with lower mobility or weaker chase powers. So overall, yeah, as far as helping them head in the right direction, I would really hope that they put a focus on map design because they've they've shown they can design good maps. Like like I mentioned, the earliest maps, Macmillan and Autohaven, the earliest realms that is, are very, very good and I love them. And on both sides, I'm very rarely going to load into a Mac or an auto Haven game and be disappointed. Maybe with Shelter Woods. That's probably about the that's probably about the main one where if I'm playing Survivor, I might be like, man, there are gonna be like six pallets on this map. But besides that, it's pretty good. Also, as far as changing direction, I think the current meta with gen kicking perks is kind of rough. Because in my opinion, the the most fun part about Dead by Daylight is chases. And gen kicking perks encourage the killer to focus on kicking a gen instead of chasing a survivor. So a lot of times, if I'm playing survivor, I'll get in games and I'll find that I'm not playing run away from the killer and don't die. I'm playing run away and the killer will probably just kick the gen anyway and then leave to go kick another generator. And that's not a super fun play style and type of thing for me to go against. So kind of going back to weakening regression perks... I don't know. I think they should maybe try and change the balance away from that sort of gen kick meta. So I know the Knight has just been released, but can you see any of the new perks working well with Blight? Uh, yes. I think... Hubris? I could see Hubris. I've gotten... I've used Hubris a couple times on Blight, actually, and gotten some good... some occasional value, but occasionally you'll get some value where you get stunned with enduring it's an unsafe pallet they expect you to be stunned for a while so they'll leave or maybe you get maybe you happen to get lucky and they stun you and you go through to their side of the pallet and you could just straight up insta down them and so i think i think hubris has some potential i don't think it's going to be insane i think nowhere to hide i think is probably the main one it's not specific to blight but nowhere to hide is very is very good in terms of it works really well with gen kicking perks, which of course I don't really run very I don't really run very often. Unless it's a build request or like a trying to do a win streak or something, I typically won't do I won't really ha run any regression or slowdown perks. I tend to go for info, chase perks, stuff like that. 
But it, it's going to work very well with gen kicking, which Blight is extremely good at kicking generators and chasing at the same time. Well, similar times. So this is something we've just recently come across, and that is the virtual tech. And it seems to be becoming quite popular lately. So can you explain exactly what it is and what it, why it can be useful? Yeah, sure. So the virtual tech is basically a an outgrowth of the hug tech. So the hug tech with Blight is where you go completely up against a wall and you can look down and the game will let you slide on a wall or surface. That is that is a brief overview of hug tech. So basically what the virtual tech is, you go up to a wall or often a pallet. So picture you're on a filler loop, like a, a kind of a junk tile where it's just a pa- uh it's just a pallet and a little piece of junk on like Auto Haven or something like that. What you can do is go right up to the pallet as if you were about to hug tech it and slide. Just tap your if you're on PC, tap your S key. If you're on uh, console or controller, just go back the most minuscule possible amount. Just back up like a millimeter. It needs to be basically no distance at all from from the pallet. And looking down as if you were going to hug tech, what you want to do is spam your rushes. And so the first time, your first rush will bump into the pallet. And then if you do it properly, you can s- you spam your rushes and you will immediately slide off. So you'll Bump and slide, just like that, one, two, super quickly. Bump and slide, and basically what that does is you're immediately in a lethal rush. So with Blight, Blight cannot swing on his first rush. If you just click your rush button, you can't swing until you bump into something. So what virtual tech does is it's basically a hug tech, but a hug tech where you can immediately use your, you can immediately swing and hit the survivor. So typically... It's most useful on small, uh, small loops where normally maybe you'd want to very, uh, you could maybe do some very aggressive mind games. And if the survivor's not paying as much attention, maybe you could get a hit there. But with virtual tech, they have very, very little time to react because they can see you're standing there, but they don't know you're trying to, it's not like you bump and then you set up a hug tech, and then you slide like a second later, because you need time to get back close to the wall. It's very, very quick, and that lack of time to react from the survivor side is really the main strength to it. We touched up on this when we did our last interview with Lilith, but there have been many changes to map layouts and even some new maps added since. How do you know, before you rush off, what obstacles you can bump into? And do you try and get the most out of your rushes uh, to get the maximum distance? Because you can only get so much distance from each rush what is it like i think eight steps worth of um running isn't it eight what worth of eight seconds no like um while you're rushing um i think i counted before you can get like eight running steps worth of a rush before you go into your fatigue don't you well i'm not sure what it is in terms of steps but i do know you have three seconds so once you click your rush you have three seconds no matter what add-on you have nothing extends it nothing makes it shorter you have three seconds until you go into fatigue so within that time you need to bump into something blight moves at 230 percent speed base kit so that's like what 9.2 meters per second so you should be able to get about 27.6 meters maybe a little bit less than than that because you start to slow down right at the end of your rush before you go into fatigue so yeah you you have uh you have three seconds basically 
As far as collision goes and knowing what obstacles you can bump into, it's really trial and error and learning by doing. A good thing to keep in mind is that the collision differs depending on what realm you're on, especially. Not as much the maps, although it can a little bit depend on the map. Mostly it depends on what realm you're on. So where Macmillan and Autohaven have fairly... I'd say fairly consistent collision once you learn what stuff you slide off of, what stuff you bump into. Autohaven, I think, is a little bit more slippery, but they're very consistent. Different realms will have different things you need to look out for. Like Swamp, for instance, the trees are extremely slippery. There are certain trees you can bump off of. So you could try to find a guide for that, but really the main thing is just going to be playing a lot of Blight and try to, as much as possible, pay attention to what you slide off of and what you bump off of and try and try and put that together and learn how to better and better know which things you're likely to bump off of. Unfortunately, there's not really a great replacement for just experience in that sense. Now, there is something you can tell very often that you will slide off of something if it's very low to the ground. So if it's going to impact your feet before it impacts your face, think of think of low down things like a picnic table on Ormond. Ormond has a bunch of picnic tables. It also has some of those low down snow piles. If it's close to your feet, but not your face, you're probably going to slide off of it because the way that Blight's collision works, and this is kind of how Hugtech works as well, is there's basically a, a line coming out of your face that is checking. Is there something in front of me right now? And if there is, then it'll try and make you bump. It, do, it doesn't exactly work like that because sometimes you will still slide on stuff that looks like you should bump. But for the most part, if there's something that is close to your feet but not your face, you're probably going to slide off of it. So try and keep that in mind and try and pay attention based on the realm. That's going to be the main thing to do. You can either you can either watch people who play Blight. So, for instance, me or a gamer or Lilith Omen, and you'll see the things that we go for and try and bump off of. And if you then go play some Blight, you'll probably see when you're using your power, you'll slide off certain things or you'll bump into certain things and you'll say, oh, that's why they didn't go for a bump on this spot. That's why they never go here. Or that's why they sometimes go here when they're trying to do a specific thing. But yeah, overall, you just kind of have to put it together and experience it for yourself. So Blight's power can be very hard to learn and to master it requires you to practice a lot not only to learn how to get around obstacles and get the hit, but in certain maps like Larry's where he has limited movement due to the twists and turns that the map has to offer. So what advice would you give to people to learn to deal with these situations? So again, this kind of goes back to maps. Maps and tiles and the setup of different areas. You kind of... It's, it's one of those things where you learn what stuff you bump off of, what stuff you slide off of, and you try and put it together as best you can on the fly. So there are certain, there are certain exceptions, like Larry's is very tight. It's very tight and closed off. So what I'd recommend for Larry's, at least as one thing, is try to stay away from the areas that get super, super tight. Like, don't go in the rooms if you don't have to. Like, try and stick to the outsides of the map the wider the wider hallways 
until you find a survivor and maybe you have to go there. But yeah, try try and do that a lot. And again, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. Also try and use patience. So you have about one and a quarter seconds with the blight before when you bump into something, you're using your rush, you're running, you're running, you bump into something. You have about 1.25 seconds by default. That's assuming you don't have it. You don't use bump duration add-ons. You have about 1.25 seconds before you go into fatigue. During that time, you can move yourself around a little bit. You can, in while you're in slam duration, you can shimmy around. You can move around a little bit and try and maneuver yourself through a doorway. But you usually, if you don't have bump duration add-ons, you usually can't get through the doorway. But you can at least try and get yourself to a good angle where you're likely to be able to get through the doorway. So don't just get to a tight spot and try and fix it by spamming your rushes and using them quickly and just, I want to get through this door, rush, 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 rush. You'll just end up wasting all of your rushes and bumping a bunch of times. You need to wait for yourself to bump off the wall, settle down, become a little bit more stationary and, or well, either that or maneuver yourself to a better spot to get through tight areas like that. Try to have patience. If you're trying to learn it, you can use bump duration add-ons, which they actually, there's something they don't mention in the in the description. It just says that they make your slam duration, is the technical word for it, longer, where you have more time after you bump into something before you go into fatigue. It doesn't mention it, but they actually also make you move faster while you're in that slam duration. So you can really move around, especially with like rose tonic or even double slam duration, which is comical. If you put both slam duration add-ons, you can stand there for three seconds before you before you go into fatigue, which is always funny to watch. That actually goes back to the meme builds we were talking about earlier, which if you want a meme build, you can stare at somebody for three seconds if you use double slam duration. But again, I would recommend not using those too consistently because they're very easy to get very, very used to quickly. And taking them off, it's going to feel bad. So I'd recommend probably only going with Pustula Dust or trying to just try not to use them every game. Try not to get super used to them, but you can use them out. Maybe maybe throw on Pustula Dust or Rose Tonic and Compound 21 and send yourself to Larry's and try to be patient and try to use your slam duration. And it's really one of those situations where practice makes perfect. So the Z flick or the 180 flick, as some people say, is one of the most common flicks and can be easy or hard based on timing it correctly. I tried um, doing this myself and found it, I found it to be quite unreliable because I just couldn't pull it off. So what advice can you give us to help pull it off and what might be the best places to use it? Yeah, so... Oh, that's that's very common. A lot of people have issues getting uh, a 180 and actually being able to do the full 180. I think the most common misconception people have is that it's primarily about just moving your mouse a lot, which makes sense because you always hear people talking about, oh, blight this DPI. Oh, this blight has high DPI. That's that's all that matters. But high DPI is really less important than just timing it because over the course of over the course of Blight's existence, behavior have implemented caps on the amount of turning you can do as Blight. So you have two different components. You've got the main component, which is basically before, it comes down to before and after you start your swing. So before you start your swing, you're capped to about 90 degrees of turning. And after you start your swing, 
you're also capped to about 90 degrees of turning. So what you have to do in order to be able to 180 is flick or move your mouse. Uh, or if you're on controller, just if you're on controller, you want to turn your uh, you want to turn your sensitivity all the way up to 100% ideally, or at least as close as you can get it, because that will affect if you're on controller, how far you can, how tightly you can turn and how much of an angle you can turn at. So you want to have it as high as possible if you're on controller. But the main thing is you want to get a 90 degree flick before you start your swing and a 90 degree flick after you start your swing. So really, that sounds more complicated than it is. Basically, what it means is move your mouse and around the time you're starting to get capped out and it won't let you turn more, you just click the attack button. It's just you click the attack button in the middle. So you flick and in the middle of your flick, once you've already gotten a good amount of turn is when you click the attack button. If you do it early, you're going to have a really weak, wide, a really wide turn. And you're going to be like, why, why did I only get 90 degrees? Well, it's because you attack, you clicked your attack button too early and the game capped you out. So you want to get 90 before and 90 after. The other component is you can slowly continue turning with time, but typically a 180 is in a fairly small a fairly small window of time. You're not usually going to be like turning for like two full seconds in a 180, which you'd be able to get a bit more of turn, but it doesn't it's not really a 180 at that point. I feel like a 180 is typically describing a relatively quick tight-ish turn. And it's more like a U-shape. So don't expect to be able to turn like immediately back around like an old J flick where you could turn in one frame. It's it's going to be a little bit it's going to be a little bit wide. And that kind of goes into the best places to use it also. So if you're if you just have a single wall, say there's say you're at like a four lane or something and you're going around the outside and you want to like 180 around that that's probably not the best place to use it unless the survivor's really close. If the survivor's really close to you, you could probably hit them. But if they're a little bit farther, you're probably going to end up going wide and having a tough time getting tightly enough around that to actually hit the survivor if they stay close to the wall. So typically the best places to use that are areas that turn around fairly quickly, but have something in the middle, say like a rock, like one of those random junk or just random rocks on, say, Macmillan or some tires on Autohaven that have a little bit of width to where the survivor will go around it and it'll be perfectly lining you up right there. Or probably the best best place to use it. So you sometimes hear people say that the blight is uncounterable. What are some of the things you can do as a survivor to make it hard for the blight to land a hit? So this one has a lot in it. Like this this topic, Blight has quite a bit of counterplay that people a lot of people seem to ignore or minimize. Now this this counterplay is some of it is more effective than others, depending on how good the blight is. Like some of this counterplay even applies if the blight is like literal best in the world, even better than best in the world blight. Like a a lot of this still applies, but to, to varying extents. So for one thing, generally when you're pathing, this is this is not like a specific tech or anything, but it's just general pathing. When you're running away from the blight, if the blight is trying to maneuver around stuff, like say you're at say you're at a long wall jungle gym and you're running from one side of the pallet around to the other, 
you're going to want to go as tightly as possible. You're going to really want to efficiently, efficiently path, not lose any distance. Try and try and get close to all of the stuff and just get around as efficiently as possible to make it so the blight has to be extremely fast. Otherwise, they're not going to catch you and maybe you'll get the pallet and they'll end up having to break the pallet. So that goes that goes for a lot of a lot of maps. You generally want to try and stick to tighter areas. Also, avoid just holding W. You want to like if you just run away in a straight line, that's going to be a fairly free hit for the blight. If you're just not looking behind you running away in a straight line, you want to try and play around things to block the blight's line of sight so they don't know exactly where you are and they have to figure out where you are when they're trying to path around stuff. Um some of the one example of something that you can do that I see some people do, and it's becoming more common, is hopping into lockers. Now, you have to be careful about the timing. Otherwise, you can get yourself hit often when you hop into a locker. But lockers can be good because you hop into a locker, and if you time it right, then you're in the locker, and the blight is in his power. So he has, either has to bump and try and wait for you to hop out of the locker or has to go into fatigue and wait for you to hop out the locker. And you have a small window of time to try and get away. Or at least, if nothing else, you have delayed the hit. And then that that is a little bit of a benefit. Blockers have some counterplay. Another thing that I see not very frequently, but I see a lot from competitive players and really, really cracked survivors, and it's also becoming a little bit more common, is the crouch tech. So basically, when you crouch, this also works for some other killers too, like Billy, Demogorgon is my understanding, and, and some other ones. Um, by crouching, you can make it a lot harder for the killer to hit you. So if you crouch around a corner, or just in general, it can make it a bit harder for them to hit you. You can also do things like crouching near a pallet especially. Blight has... Basically, the, blight, the way Blight works, and some other killers too, like Hillbilly... Cannibal, Demogorgon, their hits tend to prioritize breaking a pallet over hitting a survivor. So if you can get really near to a pallet, you still might get hit depending on what angle the, the killer is coming from. If you then crouch and maybe go toward the corner, it's going to make it much easier. The game is going to want even more to prioritize the pallet because it'll say, well, the pallet... We really want to go for the pallet break. And you, you can see this sometimes, too. If, you, if you're playing against Blight or as Blight, it can look like a complete robbery because it kind of is when you, like, you maybe go to vault a pallet and you haven't really even started vaulting that or you're just starting it. And instead of hitting you, the Blight or Hillbilly or Demogorgon will break the pallet and it just disappears from out from under you. So that that is a good thing to do. Crouching to make your your hitbox smaller, it makes it a decent bit, especially when the Blight is trying to flick. Say say you know the Blight is likely to try and flick around a corner, you can try crouching up and you have a decent chance. Like, it, it's not a guarantee or anything, but you have, a, you have a decent chance of getting the Blight to miss. Another thing is trying to spin the Blight. So basically, Blight is going really fast and... Of course, Blight can't slow down. When Blight's in his power, it's not like you can just randomly decide to walk around and follow like a normal M1 killer could. So you're going really fast at the survivor. So what you want to do as survivor is, depending on the Blight you go against, you kind of want to wiggle. You want to wiggle your path a little bit. You don't want to wiggle it a ton or wiggle it early. But when the Blight is starting to get close to you, what I would recommend is you're looking behind you. The Blight is getting close. 
you maybe let's say the blight is three meters or 10 feet, 10 feet away from you or something like that. Eh, maybe let's say like 15 feet or five meters we'll go with. The blight is coming toward you. What you want to start doing is start turning slightly in one direction. This will usually indicate to the blight that, hey, I'm going to try and get out of the way of your rush so that you miss. So I'm going to go, I'm going to try and get out of the way by going to the right. So what you want to do is have a like a light to moderate turn to like one side. And then as the blight is getting really close to you, like say maybe five feet, give or take, maybe like a meter and a half, two meters, you want to, uh, spin around in the opposite direction. So it's like a light right and then a tight left. And what usually will happen is the blight won't react to the correction in time. And they will say, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm committing to the right because the survivor is going to try and dodge me to the right. And they'll flick themselves to the right and you'll go left and you'll have a good laugh because you just spun the heck out of a blight and they just ended up, yeah, completely missing you. Um, and that's, that's one of those things you want to adjust depending on the blight you're playing. Like if, if it's a newer blight, they might not be, you might just want to commit to the initial direction because they might not be prepared or looking out for that sort of thing. And if it's a, if it's a good blight, maybe you could even fake one direction, fake back to the, fake to the opposite direction a little bit. Like you were going to do that first thing I explained and then go back in the initial direction. So it's just, you can... It's definitely not consistent to do that, but that's that's kind of like a last ditch effort. If you're if you're a really good survivor and you're going against a not as good blight, then I, I've seen some I've seen some really juicer survivors get that very consistently, and I've had some people get it fairly consistently on me. If you can time it really well, it looks because of latency and everything. I it looks borderline like the survivor almost disappears, like they go really fast. To, to the opposite direction, and it's it can be hard to hit. Now, if you're playing the Blight, this is also where you want to go back to the thing I mentioned earlier about waiting to the last possible second. Because if you try and swing early, you're it's going to be a lot harder to hit versus if you wait till the last possible second, have that really wide hitbox, you get some more leeway on where the survivor can be. And you can, you can hit survivors that are like to the side of you, even like kind of behind you sometimes it's it's really that initial hitbox is really really wide so you want to be aware that that exists and then just also if if you know that a blight is trying to go for um like a 180 say okay picture this you're at a car you're at a pickup truck on auto haven record or you're on yeah you're on auto haven let's say gas heaven and you have one of those pickup trucks which is just like a small loop the blight bumps into bumps into the truck and you can see they're looking down. So put together from that, oh, they're looking down. They want to slide. They're going to hug tech. So they're going to slide around this. And because the blight is looking down, they probably have some compromised vision. They won't be able to see as well or track as well. And it'll be harder for them to react to what you're doing. So what you want to do is you're on the other side of the truck. You start like uh, you can either just leave that's that's honestly the main thing is just if it looks like the blight is hug teching and gonna you think they're gonna go for a 180 maybe you've seen them 180 before just leave like leave the loop go 
or at least go wide. So don't hug it really tight because the blight is going to be expecting you to play it like you normally would and hug the the object really tightly. So what you want to do is maybe act like you're hugging it and then go wide. Just start running away from it at the last second. And a lot of blights will miss that. That's uh, that's something called getting flared. So it's like you you curve off to the side. It's similar to the concept of when the blight is just running straight at you. But it's a little bit different because it's harder for the blight to see you and track you when they're doing a 180. So it can be more consistent, I think, to to try and flare them or just leave the loop in that sort of situation. So, yeah, 180 flicks are much riskier to go for compared to just straight up bump logic because it's a lot easier to end up missing if the survivor knows the counterplay of like going wide. And and with any of these things, you can you can play with it, change it around, all different sorts of stuff. Also, I mentioned this a little bit before, but don't overly hold W. Like, Blight is very fast. If you just run in a straight line and don't stop at any tiles or try and break line of sight, the Blight is just going to be able to run right up on you and hit you. So what you, what I typically find the best survivors do against me, like if I'm, say I'm doing a 1v1 against a, a competitive player who's who I know is really good, typically the things that the really cracked players do is they'll, for one thing, be obviously they're really good in comp players. They'll be good at using the tiles that they have. But typically at the first opportunity they have when they think I'm safe to go to the next tile, they'll hold W to the next tile. And basically whenever they can break line of sight and you're not in your power and they think they can get away with it, they'll hold W whenever they can. So try and hold W if you have another good tile to go to, so maybe you have like a long wall or something like that, and you, or you have a, an LT wall combined with a long wall or something like that, hold W strategically, or even if it's a filler palette, just hold W, but don't overly hold W. So hold W and then use the palette or tile as necessary when you get there, if that makes sense. And yeah, also breaking line of sight, which I also mentioned earlier, and try to make, try to go for tight areas or also areas that the blight doesn't have stuff to bump around. So if you notice, hey, I'm on rotten fields and I'm in the middle of a field and this blight has literally nothing. They have a slippery shack and they have a hook kind of like 30 meters away and there's really nothing. That is, that is a good area to go into anywhere where the blight doesn't have stuff to bump on. So that's, I know that's a lot of stuff, but that's a bunch of different things to try and keep in mind to counterplay the blight. And if you if you implement those, you will be better than the vast majority of people at playing against blight and make it a lot more difficult on the blight. And even if they end up getting a hit on you, maybe you, maybe you cause them to burn an extra couple rushes because it's a really tight area. Maybe you buy your team some extra time, all of that sort of stuff that really adds up overall. So we mentioned Larry's and some other maps. What are the maps or realms that you are least excited to see when you load in? And what things make a map bad for Blight? What are the worst aspects of a map that make Blight's life hard? Yeah, so so this is interesting. There's uh, there are some common themes for sure. So I'd say my least favorite realms are, for one thing, Larry's, which we of course uh, talked about, is I, I really don't like Larry's, even though I think on average it's not the worst map overall. 
I'm just, I'm really not a fan of it. It's, it's unpleasant to play on and because it's so narrow and it's very RNG based. So it can, it can get pretty rough because you can just get some really bad spawns where there's window into window and you have to really go quite a bit around as, as the blight. And it, it makes it more difficult to use your power. Some of the other worst realms, I would say swamp. So that's grim pantry and pale rose are very bad, but they're very bad for a different reason. They're, they're really bad because they're extremely slippery and also their collision is inconsistent. So as I mentioned before, Macmillan and Autohaven are my favorite realms and they're fairly consistent as far as, as far as collision goes. Like some things you'll slide on, some things you'll bump on, and you can mostly know the difference. If I'm rushing towards something, I have a good idea on Autohaven or Macmillan, I have a very strong idea of I'm going to bump into this or I'm going to slide off of this. On swamp maps, they're bad for the reason of just being extremely inconsistent. So the same tree, you might usually slide off of it like 80% of the time, but 20% of the time you bump into it. So you can't use it for reliable collision to, to run around the map and bump logic and go bump to bump to force somebody to end up getting hit by you, but you also can't use it to slide off of and like slide around to make your pathing more efficient because there's a decent chance you're going to bump. Maybe you maybe you can use it sometimes, but there the, basically the swamp maps have really big problems with inconsistent collision. So yeah, the things that make a map bad for blight are inconsistent collision, picture swamp, very tight, narrow places picture larry's also picture old rpd they improved it decently in new rpd and i know a lot of people don't necessarily prefer new rpd that much or some people even prefer old rpd but i prefer it a lot because they made stuff wider and it's a lot easier to navigate now with blight which is a perfect example of why larry's is so terrible because there's so many areas that are very narrow that you need good precision, and a lot of rushes to navigate because it gets so tight. Another thing that can be bad for Blight is just kind of, as I mentioned in the counterplay section, last, just maps with very few spots to bump off of. So perfect example for that, Rotten Fields. Rotten Fields has a shack in the middle, which is a butter shack, which is one that Blight mostly slides off of. There are a couple, there are a few spots that you can bump into sometimes, but it's pretty slippery overall. And then besides that, you kind of have to hope that you got good RNG and maybe there's a couple generators somewhere near the middle that you can bump off of strategically or that there's a couple hooks maybe. Maybe you get lucky and there, uh, there's a hook here and a hook there and you can plan your bumps around that. Otherwise, it's mostly just a massive empty field that you can't use your power on. And if you try to use your power, you're probably going to end up just sliding off of shack if you're near the middle and just go into fatigue, which is not very helpful. Also, it causes problems with, especially if you don't have speed add-ons, it causes big problems being able to actually navigate all the way around the map because you'll very often find that as you're bumping from spot to spot, you just don't have anything close enough to actually reach it unless you go insanely far out of your way to where it's not even worth it and you're wasting a bunch of your power because you're going all the way to toward the corner of a map or something to to bump into it. So few things to bump off of, bad collision, and 
narrow, narrow spaces, difficult to navigate things are the really what makes it rough. Okay, so we touched upon add-ons earlier on, but we never talked about the elephant in the room. What are your thoughts on Alchemist Ring and Compound 33? Often, it's often brought up and definitely it's a focus when it comes to Blight because Alchemist Ring and Compound 33 are both insanely strong. And in my opinion, I think they should real they should both get nerfed, I think. In my ideal world, if I was if I was could snap my fingers and become a DBD dev in charge of changing Blight and I could just decree what it becomes, I would probably make Alchemist Ring recharge two tokens, two lethal rush tokens instead of all of your tokens. Because right now you get a successful hit on your last rush and you go from zero tokens instantly to five. And it's insanely powerful. I think two would be a nice compromise because Blight can't swing on his on his first rush. So if you hit a survivor, you need to use a minimum of two. So if you use two, it's the same as it is now. If you use three, you have a two second cooldown. If you use four, it's a four second cooldown. Five, it's a six second cooldown versus now all of them. It's no cooldown. So I think I'd probably make Alkring have regenerate two charges. And I think that would be keep it very viable and good and actually like fun to use and still nice so it wouldn't like nerf it through the ground or anything but it would make it so that you have more of a chance to actually get somewhere as survivor when you're playing against it as far as compound 33 unlike ring where alchemist ring like i said it gives you all your charges back if you successfully hit a survivor you have to hit the survivor in order to get that value with compound 33 it you just basically what it does is i believe in 1.5 set you can on any rush, normally with Blight, you have to attack the pallet to break it. So you have to, you can't break a pallet on your first rush. With Compound 33, you can break a pallet on your first rush. It just breaks the pallet as soon as you bump into it. You don't have to swing or anything. And yeah, it breaks the pallet in 1.5 seconds and you instantly start, your charges start coming back as soon as you break it. And it also slows down nearby survivors by 3%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it can make it tougher for survivors to get around certain things. So it combines it combines together destroying counterplay around pallets, which is like the one of the main things survivors have against most killers, including Blight. And it just takes that away. It says, oh, I'm following you and you can drop that pallet, but I'm going to like you're going to gain like a few meters, but not very much distance at all. I, I think it should be nerfed. I don't know exactly how to nerf it. Maybe make it take a normal time to to break a pallet, but also so you can break it on your first rush. That might that might balance it out a little bit. You could also the three percent slowdown on nearby survivors. It does that, so it's got a chase aspect, but it's also got an information aspect because you get a score event when you bump near a survivor, and it tells you that a survivor has been slowed down by your compound 33. So if you get that score event, you know, hey, there's a survivor within 16 meters of me. Maybe I want to check this area a little bit more closely. And it just combines different things all together in a package that makes it insanely strong and also very easy to use. So ring, you have to get successful hits. With compound 33, you can just walk around, play M1 Blight, and whenever a survivor drops a pallet, you just immediately break it, and you're pretty much right back on them. So it's it's the other end of being extremely easy to use. 
So I think maybe making it take a normal time to break the palate would be would be good. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the the perfect change, but that's that's probably what I would do. I mean, it's very hard to change it because what you got to remember is an ultra rare add-on, right? Yes. So if you nerf it too much, it's not going to be an ultra rare anymore. Yeah. At, at the current time, it's it's just it's kind of insane. So I think even even if you make it take a normal amount to break a pallet, you can still break a pallet on your first rush. So there's value in that. You still get the th- slowdown on survivors. So there's a little bit of value in that. And you also get the information from telling you when somebody's been slowed down. Now, maybe, maybe there are other ways you could do it. Maybe you could take away the slowdown. Maybe you could take away the score event. But at the end of the day, I think the strongest part of it is that is that it just tears through pallets so insanely fast. So, I mean, maybe if you think that's too weak, maybe you could make it take a bit longer, but not quite as long as a regular pallet break. But as is, it's very, it's arguably Blight's strongest add-on. You could make arguments for other add-ons, but it's arguably Blight's strongest add-on. Okay, so if you could make any changes to Blight, what would they be? Or do you think he's in a good spot? This is a this is a tough one. I think if I could make any changes to Blight, I think the thing I would gravitate toward is an add-on pass. So Alkring and Compound 33, as we just discussed, I would um I would nerf as discussed. Compound 33, I would maybe do some more thinking about. I think I would also nerf Adrenaline Vial. So I think Adrenaline Vial, right now, it's just it has so many upsides. And I actually I just remembered I forgot to mention. It has another upside that is it makes you go 10% faster also. It's not conse- it's not like Blight's other speed add-ons where you get faster and faster every time. It's just a flat 10%. So you're just a little bit faster all the time. It doesn't continue to speed up. It gives you seven rushes. It makes your charges come back in one second instead of two. I think the way I'd maybe change it is maybe make it take one and a third seconds or one and a half seconds per charge to get it back. So it's a little bit faster. Like still, it's it's still substantially faster than base kit. So if you used all seven charges, it'd be 10 and a half seconds versus 10 seconds for Blight using all five charges normally. You could also maybe take away... You could maybe take away the speed bonus or... You could take away one of the one of the extra charges. I wouldn't do all of them, but I would maybe do one or two of them. So maybe like six charges, and it takes one and a third seconds per charge to regenerate instead of one currently. And then I love speed add-ons, so I don't want to I don't want to say it, and I don't want to do it. But I think I might have a slight nerf to speed add-ons. So I think what I would do is I would not make them slower or do anything else like that. What I would do is make it so that both of the speed add-ons have a small downside. So I think making your token regeneration 10% slower because as as they are with speed add-ons, it's so nice. They do so many things at the same time. By being faster, you get a much stronger chase. You get, because you're just so much faster, it's a lot, you can use your power at many more spots and more effectively against survivors. You also get way more mobility by being faster for the same amount of time as discussed earlier. And you can just get all across the map. So I think I'd make it a 10% slowdown to your regeneration rate. So instead of 10 seconds to regen all tr- all five charges, if you have one speed out on, it'd be 11. It'd just be a little bit of a downside 
but not huge. I think as is, I think Blight's token regeneration as base kit is in a really, really good spot. But yeah, with speed add-ons, I think maybe make it 10% slower. So if you have one speed add-on, it's 11 seconds. If you have two speed add-ons, if you have double speed, it's 12 seconds. So I think that would give much more leeway without being a massive nerf. It'd be a, a decent nerf, but you still get to have fun and be insanely fast and go running around at crazy speed with Blight. It's three-gen situations. How how do you deal with three-gen situations? Because Blight speed is remarkably quick, and he does he even get affected by these three-gen situations? Blight is remarkably strong at uh, in three-gens, and also making things become a three-gen that wouldn't otherwise be a three-gen. If you have three generators, the final three, that are somewhat far apart, and this particularly goes if you have gen kicking perks and other slowdown perks. So like if you have pain resonance, if you have eruption, if you have call of brine, overcharge, things like that, blight becomes extremely strong and extremely oppressive in three uh, in three gen situations, particularly if it's a 3v1. If there, if there are three survivors and it's a three gen situation, even with not even that close together, if you have Call of Brine Eruption or something like that to control the gens, it's it's insane what you can do. It is it is very, very difficult to break a three gen against a blight with slowdown or gen kicks. And that's that's one of the areas Blight excels at compared to even like Nurse or someone else. Nurse would have it depends on the map, because Nurse has a little bit more verticality, so she can make gens that are maybe above like on top of dead dog she can make those re a really good part of her three gen whereas blight would have to go around the whole building but blight is very very strong in three gen situations and you can control them nicely if you have the right perks especially yeah i can imagine anyway thank you for the interview it was really nice to update this blight interview with another perspective I want to thank you so much for coming down and spending your time here with us. You've given us a ton of information as well. It's been great having you here. Hooray. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was, it was a really good time coming on. And yeah, it was a great time. Thank you for having me again. And there we have it. We have reached the end of another great podcast. It was really nice to have a new perspective on Blight. And also, just to update it since the meta change. So I'd like to thank Array Gamer for agreeing to talk about the blight i'd also like to thank myself and tofa for doing the interview so if you've enjoyed this podcast then why not give us a review on apple podcast and if you're on spotify then give us a rating it would really help us out tremendously we also have more interviews on the website into the or just search into the podcast on your favorite podcasting app this episode was recorded on patch 6.4.2 and we've said this in our previous episodes we will be revisiting some of the older killers and hopefully some new killers too with exciting guests to talk about the new changes and maybe just revisit some of the older ones to get their input on the new changes but let's cross that bridge when we come to it anyway we hope you have a great day <laughs>